listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. everybody. Welcome to part two of weight loss. Um, first of all, you might notice something a little different. I'm not sitting in my office in front of the eagle. I know this may be disconcerting for those of you who like stability, but it's time for a change. You need to break out of your shell. And I felt like that for those of you in Augusta, you know today is absolutely gorgeous. It's Sunday, May the 8th, maybe. I'm not real good with dates, but it's absolutely beautiful, so I'm out on my back porch this afternoon. So that being said, just like I just reached for a bug, this is live. So you may hear some background noises, dogs barking, my wife and daughter coming home from their shopping trip to uh, TJ Maxx. I don't know. Maybe a bug will fly in my mouth and this will go viral. But that being said... I'm kind of using you as my guinea pig. I want to see if this works. I want to see if the lighting's okay. Uh, so, that being said, let's jump into it because I've got a lot of great content today. Now, you may notice me sometimes looking down at my notes today because I've got so much information that I want to get across that occasionally I may be looking down at my notes and I didn't want to distract you thinking I was playing Angry Birds or anything. No, I'm just checking my notes. As you remember from part one last week, we talked about how critical it is to get a plan of action when you're talking about weight loss. You can't just aimably say, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to lose 15 pounds. You need to be very specific in your goals and your target. You want to say, I want to do 15 pounds by June 14th, and this is how I'm going to do it. So a plan is absolutely critical. It's essential. And I also gave you some pointers as to how to identify a good plan from a not-so-good plan because there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of ways to lose weight. That's why the weight loss industry is such a billion-dollar industry because, quite frankly, they all work, and most of them are based on low calorie. But as we talked about in that video, just because it works doesn't mean A, it's healthy, and B, it's sustainable, which ought to be two of the absolute keys when you're talking about weight loss. The other thing we talked about is the myth that is really interfering and limiting so many people when it comes to their weight loss. And unless you absolutely respect that myth and understand the truth behind that, there go the puppies. I knew these dogs would start barking at some point. Try not to let that distract you. But the, the, the myth, if you don't remember what that was, go back and look at that previous video, and I think that will be helpful to uh, be able to outline those things so we can kind of jump off into this one. Now, this is separate. It runs by itself, so you don't have to go back and look at that one if you didn't see it the first time because the information in this one is absolutely standalone with a lot of additional information. So what are you going to learn today? Well, we're going to talk about the differences between carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, and specifically what happens when you eat these things. Now, let me say at the outset, 
I'm a big believer in knowledge. If you hadn't figured that out by now, hopefully that's going to come evident. I don't want you just to go out and do something blindly. I don't recommend things without explaining the whys behind it. I think it's absolutely critical that if you understand the why, if you have that knowledge base, that's power. Actually, it's the application of that knowledge that's really power. So I encourage you, as we go through here, uh, to, to understand that I'm not trying to turn you into a, a PhD in nutrition. All I'm trying to do is give you some basic information that really kind of goes against what maybe some of you have been taught in the past. I know it was for me. So a lot of the things that I learned along the way really turned out to be either partially untrue or completely false. So that's why I want to spend some time talking about what you might think you know a lot about already. Well, you probably don't know as much as you, as you might think you did, and I can say that honestly because I certainly didn't. And I wasn't taught a lot of this stuff in medical school. I had to go back and research this and study it and learn it. So I'm not putting you down by any way because I'm exactly in the same place you were until I really spent some time to understand these concepts. The second thing we're going to talk about and that I want you to learn about is the role of insulin when it comes to weight loss. And that's an incredibly, incredibly important concept that really will guide the foundation for being able to achieve both short-term and long-term weight loss. And again, that's our goal. I'm not looking for a dive bomb, jump in and jump out. I want to make sure that the information that I'm giving you is something that's going to be good long term. And the third thing is I want you to learn about two terms, one called the glycemic index and the other called glycemic load. And those are things that literally an understanding of that will transform your ability to not only help you lose weight, but reduce your incidence of things like diabetes and cancer and stroke and cardiovascular disease. So all those are incredibly important con concepts and there's a lot of stuff there. So I want to get started right off the bat and talk about these things. And as we go along again, if I, I think I can see in the, uh, uh, in the uh, message section, if you have specific questions or concerns, uh, please uh, go ahead and and write those in and I'll try to address those especially if they apply specifically to what we're talking about. Proteins, carbohydrates, and fats are the building blocks of virtually everything we put in our bodies. They're what we call macronutrients and along with water and some of the micronutrients which are things like vitamins, they literally make up everything you put in your mouth. So they're absolutely critically important not only in losing weight but in maintaining health. And I want to look at each one of those and break them down a little bit so you really have a good understanding. Not so much the biochemistry by any stretch. I'm not going to get up on a whiteboard and start outlining organic chemistry. But just so you have a working knowledge because that's so important in making the distinction between how these things impact your, uh, your weight loss. Now proteins are basically just chains, long, long chains of amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of the proteins and people are very familiar with a lot of the names of those like glycine and leucine and they they hear these things uh, especially when they're advertised in people who are trying to build muscle and gain weight they'll get this special formulation of amino acids 
And basically all that is is individual building blocks for proteins. But proteins are absolutely critical to the body for so many functions. In fact, the very stuff we're made of, DNA, is derived from amino acids. It's four and sometimes five and six amino acids that combine, that literally make up the stuff that makes us up. So you can tell that proteins are absolutely critical. One of the key ways of knowing if a particular nutrient is important is look at what happens when you don't get enough of it. And there's some major, major malnutrition illnesses that can arise when you don't have enough protein. Things like your core, uh, which is a, a condition where you can look and see that uh, uh, when you see these advertisements, for example, on television with the starving children and you see these poor children with these big bellies, that's oftentimes a result of your core, severe protein nutritional deficiency where they get all this tissue swelling and it's a horrible, horrible condition. There's another one called marasmus where you really become cachectic. That's kind of like the what you see with the concentration camp survivors. So proteins are absolutely critical to proper bodily function. I already mentioned they're literally the stuff that make us up, the DNA, but they make up cell membranes, they make up hormones, they make up neurotransmitters, and this is something you may not know. Proteins are the second largest energy store in the body. You know, we tend to not think of proteins so much as a source of energy, but they can be a major source of energy, uh, and the body will utilize those in certain conditions. And we, we touch on that in just a minute because it directly applies to weight loss. And, of course, most of you know the common sources of proteins, and those are things like uh, meats and dairy and fish and, and uh, seafood, fish and seafood. Same thing. Uh, some of the most common forms of protein that maybe you don't think of all the time are plant forms, things like soy products, tempa, miso, anything that's derived from soybean is very high in good quality protein. Lentils, beans, all those things are excellent sources of protein. So it's not, I oftentimes get questions from people who are vegetarians, for example, and they they're concerned about whether they're getting adequate protein. Well, if they consume the appropriate amount of uh, high-protein vegetables and high-protein seeds and nuts and soy products, they're, they're going to do just fine. So you can actually be a vegetarian and get plenty of protein in your system. So one of the things I mentioned that I think is critical for you to understand is what happens when each one of these things enters into your body. We tend to think of uh, the old adage, a calorie is a calorie is a calorie, meaning that a calorie of protein is the same as a calorie of carbohydrate is a calorie of fat. Well, that's true if it's in the laboratory. If I took a gram of protein and burned it, it would provide uh, four kilocalories of energy, for example. If I took a gram of fat, it would get nine kilocalories. So, yes, uh, in the lab, there's some very rigid distinctions, but that's not what happens in the body. If you eat something that has, say, 50 grams of protein, what your body does with that and the effect that that has in your body is very different 
than if you eat 50 grams of fat or if you eat 50 grams of carbohydrate. So that's what I want to touch on on each one of these things so you have a better understanding of how that can be practically applied to your weight loss. So what happens when you eat protein? Uh, first thing that happens is it helps you feel fuller longer. Proteins are kind of hard to break down. Normally the process begins in the mouth, you chew it up, the saliva has a bunch of enzymes. <clears throat> so it takes a longer time in comparison to things like uh, carbohydrates especially to break down proteins. Well, who cares? What does that mean? Well, it means that that stays in your stomach longer and that does two things. One, it actually from a bulk standpoint allows your stomach to send triggers and signals that it's still working, it's still full. So you, you tend to stimulate the satiety centers or the fullness centers of the brain more effectively and, efficiency, and efficiently with protein. And, uh, and, it, and it also helps to uh, mechanically slow down the digestion process. And as we'll see a, a bit later, that might affect how things are absorbed. So proteins stay in the stomach longer, stay in the intestines longer. They tend to make you feel fuller longer. And what happens when you feel full? What happens when you feel fuller longer? You tend to eat less. And we all know that calories and amounts do matter, even though they're not the primary consideration. The primary consideration in weight management is the type of food you're eating. Certainly, there's nobody who would disagree that amounts matter, but not as much oftentimes as the type of calories. So one of the things that proteins do is that they allow your body to feel fuller quicker the stomach stays fuller quicker and fuller longer, so you end up eating less. Studies have shown that with high, higher protein meals, even given a situation where you could eat as much as you want and it, with unlimited intake, people who eat higher protein meals tend to overall eat less, not only at the meal, but even in between the meals. So there are some advantages there to a higher protein content of the meal. Another thing that happens when you eat proteins is it slows the absorption of the sugar that is in a meal because virtually almost every food and certainly almost every meal if it's a reasonably balanced meal is going to have protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Now as we'll see the carbs tend to be the guys we want to watch the closest and what happens sometimes with higher protein meals, they actually decrease the absorption of the sugars in the meal. So there's an additional advantage, especially keep in mind as we talk about the glycemic index, that it helps reduce the absorption of the sugars. And when it does that, it helps reduce some of the spikes of insulin that can be the bad guys when it comes to your weight loss. So it helps to kind of maintain the blood sugar in a more stable fashion. So that's another thing that happens when you eat protein. Now this is something that a lot of people don't realize. Protein actually has what we call a greater thermic effect. Mention, remember I mentioned that it takes a little bit more to digest protein. Well actually your body expends more energy when it has to break down protein than it does when it has to break down 
fat and carbohydrates in many instances. Now, each food's a little bit different, but I'm giving you some generalities here. But in general, your body works harder. Now, what happens when your body works harder? Well, it burns more calories. Now, granted, this is not a, a massive amount of what we call your basic metabolic rate, but it definitely contributes to it. So higher protein meals have a higher thermogenic effect, thermic effect, meaning that you actually burn more calories as you metabolize those meals as compared to carbohydrates and fats. And then also, and finally, proteins help to burn certain fats. They, they help to trigger your fat metabolism and actually burn more fatty tissue. If you're losing weight, it's inevitable that you're going to lose both fat and muscle. You can't get away from that. Obviously, what we want to do is we want to minimize the muscle loss and we want to maximize the fat loss. Well, increasing protein in your diet will do just that. It helps to preserve the protein. We actually, when we exercise, for example, and you're trying to lose weight and you add the exercises, you're actually burning fat, but you're also breaking down some of that muscle. That's what happens with exercise. So to repair that muscle, you need adequate protein. What that also does is dips into those fat reserves and allows you to burn those fat reserves more effectively and more efficiently. So by consuming adequate amounts of protein, you don't use protein for energy, you in turn use fat for energy. So when you look at the ratio of the weight lost, there's a greater percentage of the fat that's lost, which is exactly what we want, and a less amount of the protein that's lost. Some of it's inevitable, but we want to minimize that, and that's why having adequate protein in your diet is really, really critical. And as I mentioned, proteins really do promote muscle repair and growth. And as I mentioned before, fat is burned in muscles. There's no other way to get rid of it. You can't sit on the couch and take a pill and watch it melt off, as some infomercials will have you, have you uh, think. You can't wrap yourself in cellophane. Um, now, that, that might have some other interesting uh, side effects, but uh, wrapping yourself in cellophane and, and these crazy things you put around your waist, that's not going to burn fat. The only way to burn fat is in the muscles. The muscles are the furnace that burn the fat. So the more muscle tissue you have, the more fat that's going to be burned. And so to prevent that loss of muscle while you're exercising, while you're watching what you eat, adequate proteins will keep those muscles uh, repaired. And actually, in some instances, or certain exercises, will build muscle tissue, and that builds your furnace. That builds the better butter burners, which are what your muscles are. All right, so hopefully you got an understanding that I believe that adequate protein intake is absolutely key for weight loss, and hopefully that makes sense. And in a later video, we'll maybe break down, try to get as specific as we can about what a protein, fat, and carbohydrate content of a daily intake should be. I don't even like to do that in many instances because it's so individualized. It's hard for me to give general rules. That's one of the things you'll realize when it comes to weight loss is it's very, very individualized. And it's I can give you some basic understanding, some basic broad concepts that apply to virtually everybody. But if you ask, 
well, gee, what is the appropriate balance of carbohydrate, protein, and fat? It's going to be a little bit different for each person. So let's go to let's go to fats. Now, fats have been much maligned. Fats have been really denigrated for 50 years. But most nutritionists will now tell you that fats are, are absolutely really essential for life. I mean, there there's so many tissues and so many uh, uh, things that, that are make up fats in your body. For example, cholesterol. Cholesterol is a fat everybody's aware of, and cholesterol has gotten a bad name, and we have to be aware of cholesterol, but I think people need to understand that virtually every cell in your body that has a cell membrane contains cholesterol. It's an absolutely essential part of your body's functioning. If you had no cholesterol in your body, simply you'd be dead. That's the bottom line. So we need to kind of reframe our thinking somewhat about fats simply because they, they have been the result of, quite honestly, some bad science and some even worse marketing over the years. So let's talk a little bit about what fats are. You can also use the term triglycerides. That's an equivalent term. And that simply tells you what they're made up of. It's basically three fatty acids, tri, that are all attached to a glycerol backbone, uh, triglycerides. And there are several different kinds of fats, and I want to mention some that are extremely common simply because I want you to know that there is a distinction between the types of fats. And I, if you take nothing else away from this today with regards to fats, know that there are different types of fats. And there's one in particular you really want to eliminate from your diet, especially if you're wanting to lose weight. All right, the monounsaturated fats, and there's nothing magic about these long terms. Monounsaturated means it just there's, there's one bond that's, that's not uh, has, that doesn't have a hydrogen atom attached to it. Don't don't mess with all that. Don't worry about that. Just know that uh, that the monounsaturated refers to its chemical structure. Nothing great. Nothing magic about it. And those are real common. Most everybody knows what those are. And those are things like olive oil, canola oil, peanut oil. They're basically liquid at room temperature. So a lot of times you'll see them, and they'll they'll be in in bottles. Oftentimes they're going to be um, protected from sunlight because they can be broken down real easily. That's why they're in the dark bottles most of the time. Um, those are also things like cashews and peanuts and almonds. And most of you realize and have been told and told correctly that things like almonds and, and avocados, yeah, they're really full of fat. And we were initially told, oh, wow, those are just getting all that fat in there. But the monounsaturated fats that are in avocados and, and pistachios and almonds, they actually can be very beneficial to you in many ways. They can lower the LDL cholesterol, that's the bad cholesterol, and they also raise the HDL cholesterol, and that's the good cholesterol. So the monounsaturated fats are really pretty good things and, and not things that you have to be very careful about. The polyunsaturated, just again, meaning just several of the hydrogen bonds are not, uh, not attached with a hydrogen uh, atom, those are things like corn and safflower oil and cottonseed oils, uh, and they're also liquid at room temperature, and they lower the LDL, and which is good, and they also raise the HDL, which is good. 
Now the next one is the saturated fats, and those are things like, I mean, everybody knows, the whole milk, butter, cheese, ice cream, meat, chocolates, uh, the good stuff. Uh, and those tend to be solid at room temperature. Now what do they do? They tend to raise both the LDL, which is the bad guy, and the HDL, which is the good guy. There's a lot of debate with regards to whether the saturated fats are good guys or bad guys. I kind of come down on the side that they're a little bit in between. And I, I, I used to be one of those that thought, oh, saturated fats, avoid at all costs. Well, the science really doesn't support that. In fact, there was a study that just came out in the last week that showed that saturated fats in the diet are not directly related to heart disease like we used to think that it was. So there's a lot of confusion in the medical community, but I think the bottom line is they're really not as nasty as they were initially thought to be. Now the real bad guys that I think every nutritionist and everybody says you got to avoid are the trans fatty acids. And what are those? Most of the margarines, the vegetable shortening, uh, the you know, the great term that, that nobody likes to admit in their product anymore, the partially hydrogenated vegetable oil, deep fried things, fast foods, commercial baked goods, those are the bad guys. There is every bit of evidence that not only do they create difficulty in gaining weight, but they're directly correlated with a lot of chronic illnesses, obesity, hypertension, atherosclerotic heart disease, stroke, cancers. Those are the guys that you really want to try to minimize in your diet, especially if you're trying to lose weight. So again, the deep fried chips, the fast foods, the commercial baked goods, the margarine, the vegetable shortening, stay away from those guys. So what happens when you take in fat? Well, when you take in fat, a lot of it depends on the type of fat that you're eating. Um, some dietary fat, and particularly the polyunsaturated and the monounsaturated, actually helps your body break down existing fat stores. So the dietary fat, kind of the new fat, if you will, that you're bringing in, helps you to get rid of some of the older stored fat. Now, I won't go into the, the extensive biochemical pathway that leads to that. Just know that there is evidence that that dietary fat, especially the mono and polyunsaturated fats, will help you access and burn some of those fatty stores that are what you really want to get rid of. Fat, likewise, is not real easy to get rid of from a digestion standpoint. It takes a fair amount of time to break down the fat simply because of its components. Now the advantage you have in, in taking that in is that like proteins, it sits in your stomach and your intestines a little bit longer. So after a meal that has a little bit of fat in it, and most people can will attest to this, you feel fuller longer, just like with the proteins. So you tend to consume less both at the meal and in between the meals. So in that respect, there's a, a benefit with consuming again, a reasonable amount of fat. And I put that reasonable in, in quotes because, again, don't ever forget this is all a balance. Amounts do matter.
one of the most interesting studies I recently read about fats was that people who have a moderate amount of fat, especially the polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats in their diets, tend to stick to those diets longer than those who are more restricted. And there's the old adage of what's the best diet out there? Well, the best diet out there is the one that you'll stick with. So if that's the case, adding a little bit of fat into your diet is actually a good thing because the likelihood of you sticking with it is much greater than it would be if, uh, if, you, if you were on those severely fat-restricted diets. We also know that intakes of fat can help build some muscles. Previous studies have found that the omega-3 fatty acids, and if some of you uh, know the difference between the omega-3s and the omega-6s, the omega-3s are the fatty acids that are really excellent antioxidants, but they're contained in many fatty foods, like especially deep water fish that are, are kind of fatty fish, have a lot of the omega-3s. Well, they help stimulate protein synthesis, so they actually help build muscle, and we all know already the benefits of muscle. And the other thing that's important about understanding fat is several essential nutrients, like vitamins, are fat-soluble, meaning that they are absorbed into the body because they, they ride piggyback on the fat. Vitamins A, D, E, and K are fat-soluble, fat soluble. so uh, having some fat in the meal is absolutely essential to actually absorbing those nutrients into your bloodstream. All right, let's go to carbohydrates. And basically, carbohydrates, you can just kind of categorize, and, and when I use that term, you can almost use it synonymously with sugar because that's what virtually every carbohydrate, whether it's what we call a simple carbohydrate or a complex carbohydrate, is broken down into the body into glucose. And glucose is the basic building block uh, of all the sugars. Now, table sugar is a combination of glucose. And, and, you know, when you hear table sugar, you're talking about sucrose. That's a combination sugar. So when I talk about sugar, I'm talking specifically about blood sugar or glucose. And carbohydrates and glucose are basically the same thing. Now, carbohydrates, they're good things, and they serve a purpose. But it's important that you understand exactly what their purpose is because here's where we sometimes start getting into problems when it comes to weight, and that's we overdo it with the carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are great as an energy source. They're great to provide fuel for the brain. They're great as an immediate energy, store, any energy source. But there's really not any other function in the body for carbohydrates except to supply energy. You could actually have a carbohydrate-free diet and not develop any specific diseases. You'd be bored. You'd, get, you'd, you'd be one of these crazy type A people who, who uh, you know, has, to, has to really think about their diet all the time. So it's not something I, I recommend. I think these no-carbohydrate diets are not healthy. They're not sustainable. But I do think that limiting carbohydrates, and we'll talk a little bit about which kind, is absolutely critical to your weight management. I think the science is clear on that right now. And, and 
pretty much everybody knows what, what carbohydrates are. They're, they're not proteins and fats, so that only leaves a lot of other things that don't fall in those categories, like vegetables and fruits and the simple sugars that we're all familiar with. So, what happens when you take a carbohydrate into your system? I want to follow that same route like we did for the proteins and the fats. And here's where I want to introduce the term glycemic index and glycemic load because I think that's absolutely critical as it relates to health and wellness. Well, when you eat a carbohydrate, what happens is your body basically breaks it down. Glucose, blood sugar. So every carbohydrate is going to cause an elevation of your blood sugar. Well, so what's the deal about that? Well, when your blood sugar is elevated, your body wants to try to keep it in a normal range. There's a very smooth balance that wants to be achieved by the body. The body's wisdom is amazing in this, and it wants to achieve this homeostasis where everything stays within a relatively narrow range. So when you eat uh, carbohydrate, it's broken down into sugar, and your sugar gets elevated, the body secretes insulin. And one of insulin's major functions is to lower that blood sugar back into a normal range. Well, let me stop there and, and bring in these terms, glycemic index. Basically, a glycemic index is a calculated value that compares the ability of a food, a carbohydrate, to elevate blood sugar. And it uses the standard of uh, glucose as, as the standard. In other words, if you ate pure glucose, your glycemic index would be 100. So it takes all these foods, tests them in the laboratory at a set amount, and gives it a rating. And that's important because the amount and the rate that your blood sugar is elevated by certain carbohydrates is critical when it comes to weight loss and weight gain. So the glycemic index of a food is directly correlated with its ability to rapidly increase glucose. The higher it is, in other words, if it's above 70, and you can go Google glycemic index and literally see every carbohydrate in the universe is listed. So just, I don't want to spend too much time on, on how to find out. Just Google glycemic index. And oh, by the way, let me say, don't worry about all this information. I've got my notes that I'm going to put on the Facebook page, so you'll have access to all these notes, and I'll put in there the different uh, uh, websites that you can go to to look for glycemic index, so you can literally test any food. So foods that are above 70 on the glycemic index are considered high. Foods between 55 and 70 are, are considered medium. Foods that are 55 and below mean that they don't elevate the blood sugar as rapidly or as high. Those are the carbohydrates that you want to focus on. If you're talking about doing a low-carb diet, then those are the carbohydrates. The low glycemic carbohydrates are the ones you want to consume, the ones you want to make a part of a balanced diet. You want to stay away from the medium and high glycemic carbohydrates. That's the, the golden nugget for today, is if you'll, if you'll take that away, then you'll really have something very practical and very meaningful to apply to your, uh, your daily consumption. So uh, figure out 
and it's very easy to do which of those carbohydrates have a low glycemic index. So who cares? What's, what's the deal? I already mentioned that you get spikes of insulin. Well, when you get spikes of insulin, you get your blood sugar under good control, but insulin does a whole host of other things. And one of those things that insulin does is it turns off the fat burning switch and turns on the fat storage switch. So what happens in a meal where you, where you have a bunch of carbohydrates, especially the high glycemic? Well, you get this surge of blood sugar. In turn, you get this surge of insulin. Well, that turns off your fat-burning enzymes, and it does it generally for several hours. And it turns on your fat storage enzymes. So any excess energy, anything that's not being burned off through that meal, is potentially used and stored as fat because of the spikes in insulin. Now it's very, very complex and we could spend another week just talking about the pathways that insulin goes through to create these. Just know, and the simplest way to do it, to, to think about this is, is insulin acts as a, it turns on the fat storage enzymes and it turns off the fat burning and then by the time another meal rolls around if you have another high carbohydrate meal then that's going to continue and perpetuate so it's very important that you you understand this idea of glycemic index glycemic load takes it one step further because the glycemic uh, well, let me just give you an example and that that might make it a little bit clearer all right let's take an apple for example an apple has a glycemic index of about 40, meaning it's low on the glycemic index. Now, one of the reasons that's the case is because it's high in fiber. Fiber helps reduce the absorption of, of glucose and sugar. So virtually any carbohydrate that's high in fiber is also going to be low on the glycemic index. So it has a glycemic index of 40. And say an average apple contains 15 grams of carbohydrate. Well, essentially, all you do to get the glycemic load is it's a, a, a formula where you multiply the two together. Now, that's important because that takes into account not only quality, but quantity. And it kind of goes back to this whole idea of, of uh, meal size or uh, serving size. You know, you used to, when you, when you read a, a package label, you, it would be somewhat deceptive if it said 100 calories but per serving, but there would be eight servings in a traditional serving size. So you've got to be careful about reading those labels. Well, the same thing applies to glycemic load. That's a tool that allows you to take the average um, amount of a carbohydrate that's eaten during a meal and compare that to its, its glycemic index. The bottom line is the same information. The higher the glycemic load, the more you want to avoid that carbohydrate because it does the same thing with insulin. All right, I've been rambling on now for almost uh, 35, 40 minutes. Uh, I appreciate those who've actually been with us live, uh, Natasha, Kathy, and several others. It's great that you're here. 
I, I really look forward to all those who tend to view this uh, after the fact. But I want to go ahead and, and cut things off here because I, I think the dogs are getting ready to start barking again. Uh, but I want to give you what I call my bottom line when it comes to weight loss and nutrition and healthy lifestyle living. And that's four points that are absolutely key. And they really tie into what we've discussed this afternoon. Number one, when you're eating, eat low trans fats. The other fats limit their quantity, but know that they're not really the bad guys. Low trans fats and low sugar. And by that in particular, low glycemic sugar. High fiber. We really didn't talk about fiber, but that's a very important part of this whole process. So you, most of us are really not getting adequate fiber in our diet. I mentioned already that can slow the absorption of sugar, so it can work in your favor. It also keeps you regular, and that's a good thing, especially when you get older like me. If you're regular, you're happy. So you know, consume as much of fiber as you, as you possibly can. And finally, balanced. Balanced meals are key. There's no one superfood that everyone ought to eat all the time. You know, tofu burgers get old after a while. There's no one absolutely horrible, nasty, bad food except maybe trans fats. Those probably are. There's really not a lot of benefits to those. But eating balanced meals, that's why I don't like these, these no-fat diets or these no uh, no-carb diets, those aren't healthy, they're not sustainable, and they taste like yuck-yuck. So just balanced, but eat less of it. We tend to consume way too much with regards to calories. Again, remember, calories, it's not all about calories, but they do matter. All right, well, listen, thank you so much for being with us today. I hope this has been uh, something that's been helpful to you. Uh, we're going to continue talking about weight loss. I do want to cover a lot of other topics because there was a plethora of suggestions with regards to topics that people are interested in. One of the things I want you to watch out for over the next several days is I'm going to start using some polls within the Facebook page, and I really, really encourage you to answer. I mean, it's going to be simple two and three question polls simply to allow me to understand really what you're looking for. I want to really meet your needs. This is really to serve you. So I want to be doing things that really serve you and answer questions, cover topics, uh, just whatever you want to really make this as far as making it uh, information that's going to help you achieve a healthy lifestyle. So please take a couple of minutes as you see those polls pop up and answer those, it really is going to help me provide the content that I think is going to be meaningful for all of us. So until next time, stay healthy. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eaker at R-E-A-K-E-R at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.